This is the Trying Again podcast, a story of miscarriage. I'm Rachel Smith. If you're listening to this for the first time, you are very welcome. You also might want to go back to episode one and then listen through to get the full story, else some of this might not make any sense. This is a podcast of passion as I explore a usually silent world and decide whether I want to try again following multiple miscarriages. The conversations in this episode will be frank. I can't imagine anything worse than lying on a scan bed, even waiting for them to get a gel. I, I, I can't, it already makes my chest so heavy. I feel like I can't breathe when I think about it because I'm like, I, I do not want to be in that position ever again in my life. And they may be difficult. As a minister, I've worked with a lot enough people who have experienced self-harm. Um, so before I did it, I guess I wanted to tell someone that they are needed. What they found was that there was a significant risk of PTSD that wasn't just short term, uh, but you know it was actually a, a long term problem for for many women. This is an episode where I explore the mind. Before I get into it, if it's safe to do so, I want you to do something right now. I want you to focus on your breathing. Breathe in. Breathe out. Can you feel how your breath is moving in your chest? What else can you feel? The air. Is it hot? Cold? What can you hear other than me? What are the other noises around you? Take a moment now to just breathe. Breathe in. Breathe out. And just listen, taking in the silence. I used to do this a lot. Mindfulness, I think it's now called. As a teenager, I couldn't sleep, so my mum bought me a self-relaxation tape. I tell you this because back then I knew how to focus my mind. I didn't know it was a form of meditation. I just knew that I liked to do it and it dealt with stresses back then. It's also something I no longer do. So when I first thought about exploring the effect miscarriages had on my mind, my first reaction was to go back to mindfulness. I've done it before, so I can do it again. I am going to look into mindfulness later in the podcast. But what this line of thought has made me realise now is that, well, I think my miscarriages have changed me. They've changed the way I think and feel. I think they've changed my mental health. The grief alone is tough. Mix that with grieving sometimes in silence and the pregnancy hormones that come and go so fast, almost unnaturally. That gave me a toxic cocktail of negative thoughts and feelings. Guilt. Jealousy, loneliness, pity, body shame, anxiety and dread. This is what I was not prepared for. How could I be? How can any of us? A study published in 2019 looked into the psychological impact of early stage pregnancy loss. To explain the study better, I spoke with Professor Ari Kuma Asari, director of the Thomas National Centre for Miscarriage Research. Based in Birmingham, the professor works alongside the leadership team at the centre. The study at Imperial um, has been uh, led by Professor Bourne and his team. Really important work, really, really crucial work, uh, quantifying the mental health aspects of of miscarriage. Uh, And what they were able to do was to study the level of um, PTSD after miscarriage, and they were able to um, survey uh, women uh, not just soon after miscarriage when you would expect there to be 
a degree of trauma and anxiety and um, stress and so on, but they were able to follow these women up uh, to nine months and beyond. And what they found was that there was a significant risk of PTSD that wasn't just short term, uh, but you know it was actually a, a long term problem for for many women. And uh, we also know from other studies that uh, anxiety levels go up and remain high for several months and beyond after the miscarriage. Uh, we know that if you have repeated um, miscarriages, the problems tend to be worse. And it's not just anxiety, you know, clinical depression uh, is higher. And recent work um, demonstrated that even the risk of suicide is higher after multiple miscarriages. So there is a desperate need to understand how we can firstly identify uh, women and the couples who may be going through severe um, uh, mental health consequences following miscarriage. Uh, and then, uh, uh, of course, you know, how do we uh, help them best? So I think in terms of identifying such women, we need to be able to triage patients. We can't assume that uh, a woman who looks happy in the clinic is, is doing, uh, doing well. She may be happy in front of you, but you know, at home it may be a very different story. So uh, there are validated instruments uh, and we need to make sure that they are fit for purpose uh, in the, the miscarriage context. And, um, and we need to make sure that there are uh, kind of questionnaires, um, tools that we can use to pick up women who are at risk of uh, severe mental health issues after miscarriage. So I think you know, picking up the problem is the, is the first big challenge. Um, how we do this, how best we do this. I think this is why it was important to read that the study had happened because it almost allowed it allowed me to feel like that because I, I yeah. literally thought I was going mad. For many, many couples, this is loss of a baby, uh, you know, and there is research out there that shows that, you know, the level of bereavement reaction and uh, the psychological consequences after a miscarriage is no different, is no different to that of, you know, uh, after a stillbirth. Um, and so, you know, for, for many couples, uh, when you start to talk with them, you realize that this was uh, you know, a very important event in their life uh, that would have um, significant consequences, you know, throughout their lives. The research involved with the PTSD, what signs would you have if, if you needed to consider that you might have it? Because it's not something that I think is quite clear in um, yeah. anyone outside of the world of science to know yeah. what would be what would be a point of thinking, actually, this is maybe something I go and talk to my doctor about and, yeah. and not something I just keep I think to myself. All psychological symptoms after pregnancy loss uh, are important to, to inquire about. So, you know, unusual level of stress, anxiety, panic attacks, depression, uh, recurring thought patterns that are that are negative, um, feeling a, a sense of uh, hopelessness, worthlessness, um, and just finding it difficult to concentrate. Um, sleep is important, you know, if you're unable to sleep uh, or get up very early in the morning. All these things are um, a potential sign. And with everything that's going on 
with the world right now, but also the research. What keeps you going? What keeps what keeps you focused when it just feels such a mammoth task to answer the amount of questions that get thrown at, at you? I think it is the couples that we see and, you know, the need that we see the couples for answers that's what keeps us keeps us going you know and what um uh, keeps us going on a on a day to day basis is the is the ability for us to 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 make a difference uh, through the research that that we are doing we are beginning to see uh the efforts um from the past um, several decades by many researchers throughout the world, beginning to firstly uh, recognize what an important um, healthcare condition this is for for many couples, um, but also beginning to give insights about why it happens and how we can actually start to make a difference. Uh, and so I think that you know um, uh, hope is you know if you were to if you were to ask me for a one word answer, it's the it's it's the hope that we are able to to give to the couples that you know we can um and will improve the care and the outcomes for future i think that's what keeps us going as far as i know i've not had ptsd so i couldn't tell you what it feels like but i think it's an important topic to explore so i reached out on my social media to see if anybody wanted to share their story with me i was contacted by joy fanstodinen Joy is the host of the Love and Loss podcast and someone who has experienced PTSD following loss. Some of Joy's story may cause triggers. Our first ultrasound was actually at eight weeks and um, everything was going normal. So I had morning sickness. I was incredibly tired and um, everything was so normal that I'm like, oh, good. I'm not bleeding. Like I, we went into the ultrasound like is the baby going to be excited like mom or is it going to be like camera shy like dad <laughs> um and nothing could have prepared us for no heartbeat nothing um and so when we heard those words there is no heartbeat like i had a lump in my throat i couldn't i i just i i had i had no idea that was even a possibility um and I started to tear up and my husband kind of grabbed my hand because I could tell he was shaken up too. Um, we just laid in bed and cried all day, like all day long. Um, and I thought the next day we would both go to work, but he was able to, and I ended up just going into work to get my computer and then coming back home and crying all day. And then the next day I cried all day. And then the next day I cried all day. And I, had no idea that this could even happen. I think um, I was just so naive. And prior to our loss, I actually worked as a chaplain in the NICU and labor and delivery. So I had sat with parents who had lost babies and um, children in the womb, but I didn't understand just how horrible it was until it happened to me. Um, I had kind of put miscarriage on this shelf as like a half loss. And I didn't understand that it was the loss. It was a death is what was happening. It was a death. And I didn't, I just didn't get that. Um, so I started to see a therapist the first week, 
yeah, the week we found out there was no heartbeat, I found a therapist and I went in and she had to help me understand that I, it was because I loved this baby and I didn't, I had never felt that love before because this is our first pregnancy. I didn't understand a mother's love. I didn't understand that it started so early. I, I just was in disbelief and it took me like over a month to like fully acknowledge that, that like the reason I was grieving so deeply is because I loved my baby. Um, I had to go in at 10 weeks to have a DNC. Um, I had no idea how painful that would be. Um, I thought I, I was really excited to get to the DNC because I thought then I can um, almost get over it. I thought I'll be, I'll be good to go after this. Like looking back, I don't know why I thought that. Um, cause it was only the beginning. Um, the physical pain was terrible cause I didn't go under general anesthesia. Um, it was just localized. And then the emotional pain, um, I had been carrying around our dead baby for two weeks in my body. And that was hard for me to wrap my mind around. Um, after the DNC, I continued to see the therapist at least once a week. Um, I couldn't do anything. I mean, nothing except for sit on the floor and watch Netflix and work jigsaw puzzles for weeks. I, I couldn't do anything. I Sometimes I would try and go into the office and work for a few hours, but I usually started crying so hard that I had to go home. I, I could not do it. Um, my husband tried to help me out and we tried to go out in the garden and plant flowers and I would have to go inside because I couldn't even do that. Like things that would bring me joy didn't bring me joy anymore. Um, it kind of came to a head when I've, I've had depression for, I mean, I was diagnosed in my early twenties, but I, I remember having it even in high school and, um, but I've never felt any kind of wanting to hurt myself. Um, and so this is kind of a trigger warning, but I did start to wonder maybe if I cut my leg, then I would feel better. Um, and I'd never felt that before. I'd never felt like wanting to physically harm myself until then. And I never actually did it. I, I just went to my therapist and I was like, look, this is like going through my head that this is a good idea. And I think it just shows how badly, how, how sick I really was. Um, I ended up having to quit my job because I was just so, so sick. And I didn't know to call it that at the time. At the time, I just said, look, I'm grieving my baby, which I think people still didn't understand um, that it was a real baby. <laughs> and um, but I didn't know to tell them, like, look, I'm very ill. So I continued to see the therapist and luckily I never physically harmed myself. I think coming to the realization, like it's weird to have that in your head, like to think like, yeah, maybe this will make me feel better. And then also knowing that is not a good idea. Um, so I, I guess I think I just got lucky that I never did it. And slowly and very slowly, I started to heal and I think what helped the most was just diving headfirst into my grief. So it's like the little children's song, like you can't go over it. You can't go around it. You got to go through it. And, um, 
someone told me the only way to experience your grief is to feel it. And um, I had to do that very intensely. And it hurt so bad. It hurt so, so bad. I was very public about my grief and very honest and open. And so I started a blog. Um, I would, I would tell my friends like, look, I'm not doing good. I, I am not well. And they knew that, but I think hearing me say it helped them know just how poorly I was doing. Then as I dove in and allowed myself to feel these horrible, horrible feelings, I was able to integrate that grief into my being. Um, I, I didn't have to push it off because it was always going to be a part of me. And if I could acknowledge that, I could start to become the new me. Um, I could acknowledge that I am a mother and I'm a bereaved mother. And I can acknowledge the horrible, horrible mental health um, situation that I was experiencing. Um, I knew that I needed to heal and I needed to grieve full on. Um, I actually wasn't sure if I wanted any more children. I, my husband and I thought maybe this one that we lost is our child. This is it. This is all we want. Um, we wanted to just parent that child who had passed for the rest of our lives. Um, we eventually changed our mind. And like I said, about nine months later, we got pregnant again. So I already had depression. Then I had postpartum depression. I was able to heal from that. Um, and then when we got pregnant with our son, I um, it was time to go to the midwife. And I actually put it off. They wanted us to go in at eight weeks and we didn't go until 11 weeks because I was so scared of the same thing happening. Um, whenever we got called back, I laid on the table and I squeezed my husband's hand so tight as I cried. And the midwife put the Doppler on my belly and I didn't hear anything. And I thought, oh no, um, is there a heartbeat? Is there a heartbeat? There's no heartbeat. I know there's no heartbeat. And he said, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't turn on the volume. And then I heard it. Um, and that actually made me cry even harder because you realize how grateful you are for this second child and also how much you've been robbed of the first time. Um, so I think the biggest thing that I've learned through the mental health piece of my loss is the importance of getting help early. You sound like you were very in tune with, with how you were feeling with it all. When you felt like you wanted to harm yourself, I mean, how did you link the two together and, mm. and, and kind of resist those thoughts? I think I've worked with enough adolescents um, as a minister. I've worked with enough people who have experienced self-harm. Mm. Um, so before I did it, I guess I wanted to tell someone how are you feeling now with it? Yeah, it, I think that's really amazing is how well I feel now. Um, our, our second child, we don't do the, we don't call him a rainbow child, um, a rainbow baby. We just call him our second baby. So I know that's not very common either. We just say that we have two kids and one died early. Um, and so he's only two months old and he's going to know that he has a sibling in heaven. Did you know it was PTSD at the time? Had you had that discussion with your therapist or your doctor? Yeah, I mean, I could flash back. Like I could feel myself sitting in the waiting room with my sweet pea. I could, I could flash back in my head. And I, as soon as I laid on the table to have 
the heartbeat red, I flashed back to the table when I heard there was no heartbeat. So I knew, I knew right away it was PTSD. Um, but still knowing it doesn't make it go away. Mm. Um, even if you're aware, um, I think what helped me heal is really you have to dive into it and it's so ugly. So if you don't acknowledge it, it's always going to haunt you. So we had to find ways to honor our baby and to learn to parent a baby who's died. Um, something I didn't realize is that you continue to be a parent to this child, even though they're gone. Um, and so spending all that time, the first six to eight months after our baby died, spending all that intense time grieving and crying and not knowing if I was going to make it actually ended up helping me in the long run. Um, because now I can have a life where I can parent my sweet pea and honor them every day. I can put flowers on the altar at church on their due date. Um, I can do all kinds of things to be there for other moms who have experienced it. And I wouldn't be able to do those things if I wasn't honest and I wasn't true to my feelings. Mental health issues surrounding miscarriage is a regular topic that crops up in most of my conversations. It's not surprising, really, but it being common doesn't take away from the depth of the trauma involved. If you've been listening to the podcast, you may remember I spoke with Nicola from the Instagram feed Miscarriage Afterlife. Nicola miscarried during lockdown and was hopeful to try again following her loss. I caught up with Nicola to see how things are going and how she is with her mental health. I'm in my two-week week now and I'm due on the end of this week and I'm like, oh, I've got cramps. Oh, I'm very sleepy. And then I know that I've been here before and I'm just going to be met with another pregnancy test, so a negative one. So I don't keep pregnancy tests in my house now. I completely refuse to have any here unless I'm late on my period. And then I'll go and buy one and go from there. But yeah, we're still actively trying. Um, I run out of ovulation tests in this cycle and I've said I'm not going to buy any more of those either because the past seven months, I luckily ovulate at the same time every month. So that's not something I need to really track. Um, yeah, and I'm just going to try my best to not think about it. But God, it consumes you. It literally consumes you. So, yeah, still actively trying here. Still like, Dan, I'm ovulating. Quick, hurry up. Let's go. That's really interesting. So you've gone from buying the tests and keeping them in the house and testing regularly to not at all is that to protect your mental health then have you got to the point of thinking actually you need to just cushion yourself a bit yeah I I was like because I'm on Instagram so much and I follow so many amazing accounts and like you you do see in the TTC community as soon as you see someone who's wrote sensitive posts you know that's a pregnancy announcement because they've just found out they're pregnant which is amazing because if you're in that community that's because you're having a crappy time trying to conceive, whether you've had a loss, whether you haven't. There could be a million reasons why. So I, I know if I see a pregnancy announcement on my Instagram, it's a completely different feeling to if I see an, uh, an announcement on my Facebook, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, but where I follow all these people, you learn, oh, you might have a faint positive at 10 days past ovulation, which then I think, ooh, okay. So maybe I could test a little bit earlier and then it'll be negative. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'll wait 40 hours because there's definitely still a chance. And then I'll wait 40 hours and do it again. And it's still negative. And I think I just constantly kick myself when it's negative. So I think, what? why are you putting yourself for this for? Like, why are you doing it? So I made the decision 
two months ago to say right this is my last test now and I am not having any more in the house because I I can't control myself it's like eating chocolate I just keep going and keep peeing on these sticks and hoping they'll change when they're not so how are you feeling since you made that decision yeah but I am feeling a lot better I think it is better not having them in the house for me personally because I know now so I'm due on this weekend so if I test I could possibly have an okay accurate result but I just can't I I can't play about with it there's just too much going on and I just think wait and see this this is something completely out of your control whether you find out now or whether you find out when you're supposed to find out when mother nature takes its course so yeah just wait I'm just I just wish I'd stop symptom spotting because that's that's why I do to wind myself up like today I've been getting really bad period cramps and I know it's not period cramps because I'm not due on for a couple of days and my body never works like that and I'm like oh this is this you know is something happening here and then I'm like no it's probably in your head stop thinking about it go and do something else and I'm really trying to distract myself from thinking about it too much but yeah it's just really hard I never ever thought I would be tracking ovulation taking vitamins making sure I was doing everything I possibly could to get pregnant and start a family when the majority of people in my life oops we're pregnant oh my husband only had to look at me and I think what why is this so hard for me then like what 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 are we doing wrong why is it so easy for everybody else so I never thought I'd be one of these people that really had to try but then again I don't think anybody in this situation does how do you think you're coping with it all um I think if you asked anybody in my life they'd be like oh my god Nick's fine like oh god yeah she's she's yeah she's fine nothing wrong with it but yeah it's really starting to break me now it's absolutely draining it is it's a full-time job TTC trying to start your own family it's a full-time job for anything even happens especially if you've been through loss or you're going through any type of treatment it's just such a journey and all these things you need to think about and yeah I, I, I think if I sum up in one word how I feel about trying to conceive it's absolutely exhausted mm. really really exhausted and I just think it's out of my control I can only do everything I can you know to make it a better environment like husband's sperm quality and all these things and like cut down drinking cut down fatty foods just you know all these things that can help I do them so there's nothing more that we can do I'm just very very drained now and I'm just trying my best and I I think Dan is too but he doesn't speak about it as much um and I've just got my my lovely followers on my Instagram that whenever I'm having a wobble I normally put on my story. Remember you saying uh, um when we first spoke that you told your um the scan nurse that you didn't want to tell Dan because of what had happened yeah, to the point the midwife to that before point. I went in. Yeah, so the um we went to our twelve week scan and that's where they said there was problems. So the next day at our EPU, um it was the two weeks before lockdown. It was all still a bit, no one knew what was going on, but life was relatively normal. Mm. Um, and we went into the scan and it just said, um, okay, there's a 50-50% chance that everything could be fine. The other 50% chance is it's not fine. You need to come back in two weeks. 
I went in and she said, you know, how are you feeling? I was like, well, I'm still being sick. I'm still very much pregnant. And they were like, oh, this is fab. This is great. Um, your husband can't come in with you today. And I was just like, why? Like, if something if something bad has happened, I can't tell him. Like, I, I can't. I, I can't. And she was like, it's okay. What we'll do is, um, whatever the outcome, we'll tell him first. And then you can go and sit with the doctor or the consultant together and you can be told the outcome together. And I was like, okay, like, that, that will be okay. That, that's okay because even though he's not with me, I can't control that. At least you guys will take that pressure off me. Fine. And I remember opening the door and he was just stood there like a lost puppy and was just looking at me like, what's happened? What's happened? And I just looked at him. I didn't say anything. And this is the part where I can't remember. But whenever I've asked Dan about it, he just said I didn't need to say anything because my face just, he knew instantly. And then I just, collapsed and just cried and it was the mother's day weekend then and um they couldn't offer us anything because of covid and they couldn't offer us any any pain relief or um this what i know now is standard practice when you have a miscarriage i I know what's supposed to happen now but at the time i didn't um and i look back and i just think how the hell did you do that how the hell did you physically and emotionally go through that but then, you know, when you, you don't have a choice, like thousands of other couples in the world who just don't have a choice. It was just that timing when there was so much uncertainty and it was a first lockdown. There was nothing really we could do and we just done the best of the situation, I guess. And how have you said goodbye to your baby? Have you got to that point yet? Yeah, we kind of said it on the day Um, we put all the baby stuff in a box and that he he'd done it all and he was like I'll do it I'll do it I'll do it I think he just wanted to kind of take control and thought it'd be easier for me and I was like no this is something we really need to do together so I remember the boxes on the landing and both of us were going in whatever room something was in to put it in and every time we met at the box on the landing we'd look at each other and I was just inconsolably crying and I could see he had been crying but he wouldn't cry in front of me and I could, t- it was just a moment I know that we're not, we wouldn't be able to get back or experience again if we didn't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, that was definitely our goodbye, throwing everything up in that, that attic. And then, um, the due date, which was my husband's 30th, which was two weeks ago. That was a lot harder than, than what I thought because I thought, it's Dan's birthday. It's a big birthday. I'm totally going to be distracted. But yeah, it, a day like that, milestones like that, don't let you be distracted. Um, don't think you can ever really say goodbye, hmm. um, but you can put things to bed, and I think that's what we did. And you feel like now you're in a better place than with with all that, all the what you've experienced, because that's quite a harsh thing to have gone through. I didn't think I was lucky at the time, but looking back, and because you can reflect so much, I know I was lucky because Dan was actually allowed in the hospital. He just wasn't allowed in the scan room. The thought of going to a scan or the thought of going to a hospital or the thought of doing any of it, I just don't want to. I don't want to. I'm thinking, if I get pregnant again, I just won't tell anyone. I won't tell anybody. And then if the bump grows, then I'll go because then something's good. But if not, I don't I, I don't want to go. I don't want to do any of it. I can't imagine anything worse than lying on a scan bed, even waiting for them to get a gel. I, I, I can all it already makes my chest so heavy. Mm. I feel like I can't breathe when I think about it because I'm like, 
I, I do not want to be in opposition ever again in my life. How are you protecting your mental health with, with all this then? I don't really know. I've got to be honest, I really don't know. I I think I'm just like a norm, normal average person who's dealing with grief. I have my good days and I have my bad days. I think I'm protecting it by not torturing myself with doing pregnancy tests every few weeks. So many days past ovulation and I think I'm protecting myself that way. Um, I'm protecting myself. I came off Facebook for five months, I think. I haven't long gone back on there. That helped me. And the only reason I went back on was because I felt strong enough. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm just noticing what what really affects me and when. And if I can control it, I'll eliminate it. But if I can't, I'll try and learn and think what I can do to make myself feel better. Knowing you may need some time to heal and navigate wobbles in mental health is one thing. Knowing what to do with those feelings is another issue altogether. A recent study to coincide with the documentary on the UK broadcaster Channel 5 called Miscarriage Our Story found that 82% of those who'd experienced a miscarriage with a current or ex-partner would not or did not recall being able to access bereavement care or mental health support after miscarriage. The film features high-profile names talking openly about their loss. In this clip, musician Izzy Judd and Anna Whitehouse, founder of Motherpucker, share their feelings over loss. After the miscarriage, I just wanted to sort of escape me, almost. What did I do wrong? Had I tempted fate by having IVF? Was I just not meant to be a mum? And now did I have a bigger problem that not only could I not get pregnant, was I then not able to carry babies? You can't help but feel responsibility. You can't help but think, what if I can't give Harry a family? What if I can't give his mum and dad grandchildren, my parents' grandchildren? like it was my fault it felt like it was my uterus it felt like it was my issue I think even the word miscarriage it feels already that you've missed something your body's just not not working I felt like I was looking at roads and motorways of everybody else driving and wondering how I, I can't even get my license I can't even get on the road We live in a place which is full of mums and families and babies and lots and lots and lots of buggies. And when you're trying for a family, it's very, very difficult because it feels like there's a this sort of constant reminder that it's not you. And it's not even just that on the street, you know, you open up magazines and you see pregnancy announcements or on social media, royal babies or whatever it might be. It's painful because you're thinking, why is this not me? What, it feels like it's everybody, it's so easy. Why is this so difficult? 
for us. And in this clip, actresses Lacey Turner and Jane Dunson described the silence that surrounded their baby loss. I felt so lonely and I didn't speak about it. You don't understand it, you just you feel completely alone. There isn't anyone who can help you. There isn't anyone who can make it better. It's happened. And I think, actually, what we should have done was talk to each other, but because we didn't, it actually made both of us really lonely. And you sort of feel like you're the only person in the world that this has happened to. We've always been really open with each other. We've always talked about things, and I just shut down, I suppose. It did take about three years for me to fully have the conversation about how I was feeling. I mean, I think Rob knew how I was feeling, really, because he knows me so well. But, yeah, I, I, I don't know why. It just festered and, and lingered for a long time, and I didn't... Couldn't find the words, I suppose. Um, for somebody who never stops talking, it's uh, quite unusual for me. I think what these stories have shown is that there's no right or wrong way to feel after miscarriage or baby loss. For me, it helps to know that there's studies taking place. They provide recommendations for care and self-care. They can also help educate if I need to get some mental health support. What I've been thinking is that if studies show people are suffering and pregnancy loss affects one in four women, add to that their partners, both couples, families and friends who may be triggered by the loss, and then throw in the silence and taboo surrounding it, you can start to see how big the problem is surrounding mental health awareness, care and self-care following miscarriage or baby loss, and why it matters. This podcast was produced by me in my spare room, Duvet Den. The music is Small Bump by Ed Sheeran. Huge thank yous to Professor Ari Kumasari, Director of the Tommy's National Centre for Miscarriage Research. Joy Van Stordinen from the Love and Loss podcast and Nicola from Miscarriage Afterlife. The film Miscarriage Our Story aired on Channel 5 on the 15th of October 2020 and was an ITV Studios production for Channel 5. At the time of release of this episode, the documentary is available on Channel 5 streaming service My5.tv. If you're going through it right now, please know you're not alone. There's links to help available and to the film This Carriage Our Story on tryingagainpodcast.com. If you've liked this episode, please share it. And if you haven't already, leave a review on your podcast app. It helps others find it. Remember to subscribe to this podcast so that you don't miss an episode. You can wrap your fingers round my thumb.